Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. So you know those stories about people who lose a sense, like like maybe they lose their hearing or their sight, and then their other senses get turbocharged to, to compensate for what they lost. Well, today's story is one of those, but it's got a bit of a dark twist. Our interview today is with a guy named Matthew Wagman. He was born blind, and as a kid, he developed a, a kind of an unusual interest in the family's telephone. He says that he was bullied, and he was, you know, back then he was kind of overweight, but, but on the phone, he could be anyone he wanted to be. And Matt discovered that he had a unique talent for recognizing and imitating sounds. Now, this was in the early 2000s, and the, and the phone system back then was still mostly analog. So phone lines contained all these extremely subtle little clicks and beeps that most people ignored. And these were little handshake signals that allowed the phone system to operate. And Mac could hear these. He, he heard them, and he figured out what they meant. And this allowed him to use the phone in the same way that a hacker uses a computer. He could hack private numbers, and he could put, uh, he could put call blocks on people he didn't like. And he even sourced the phone numbers of celebrities like Lindsay Lohan and, and Eminem. And he did this all through his teenage years with increasing levels of, of audacity and, well, just kind of malevolence, really, until eventually the FBI caught up with him and threw him in jail. So today, I want to know how Matt hears the world. We're going to unpack his experience of the, of the sonic universe and get him to explain what it was like being a teenager with so much power. Matt, so you were born blind, right? Can you tell me about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, when I was born, I was diagnosed uh, in Brunswick, Maine uh, with a uh, disease or issue, a nerve issue uh, known as or referred to as optic nerve atrophy. 
uh, in which the nerves have been stunted or prevented from, you know, making connections to the brain. I kind of like to liken it or compare it to, you know, the connections, the multi-point connections on a circuit board. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, some of them work. I have light perception, but, uh, you know, I, I can't really identify uh, shapes, just shadows and outlines. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What, uh, what were you like as a kid? So, so I guess what I'm just trying to do, I'm trying to, because obviously I've read all these stories about you and it's just suggested over I, and over again that, you know, because your eyesight wasn't great, you, you really, um, you developed ways of hearing and a sort of very, uh, specialized ability to observe sounds that maybe the rest of right. us just dismiss. And I, and I just okay, wanted well, to sense. hear your take I think on that, that. I think that because I'm visually impaired or blind, uh, you know, I think that I would be more uh, maybe receptive, if you will, uh, to these kinds of things. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I think that um, a lot of people who can, you know, see, they take things for granted. But yeah. likewise, I mean, you know, I'm blind. I take my hearing for granted, right? So it's just something, it's a different avenue to reaching out and, you know, uh, interacting with the world, in my opinion, it's kind of like the idea of reading Braille. It's just another. It's it's a different avenue for you know to uh, to reach the same goal here. I view my hearing in the same sense, but I can't compare whether my hearing would be better than yours or not because I've never been able to see. I've never been able to hear things and experience that uh, experience. I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, before uh, losing eyesight because it never actually occurred that way for me. Yeah. Right. Let's let's move forward. Uh, how did you discover the phone? Well, you're kind of jumping a little bit ahead there. Uh, when I was about uh, seven or so, seven, uh, maybe, I don't know, six or seven, maybe, uh, I wanted to learn how to dial the phone. I had a, another blind friend of mine who came to the United States and was in school with me for a while. He was from Bosnia. We used to talk on the phone all the time. And uh, from that point on, not only did I call my friend, but I started just playing with the phone. Uh, and that includes everything from like just dialing random numbers, listening to error messages and uh, calling 911 and hanging up just to see if I could like uh, avoid the trace. Now, we're about to get into the part of the story where, where we talk about chat lines. Can you just quickly tell us what exactly is a chat line? A chat line is a forum in which uh, people connect with each other, but it's not your average everyday, you know, like online chat form. Yeah, it's a telephone number that you can use. You can pick up a regular telephone and dial the number and use your touchtone telephone keypad to navigate using, uh, you know, you kind of use your phone as a remote, essentially, and you talk into it, essentially. Like, for example, if you wanted to go to the next conference room, you could press seven. The previous one, you could press six to check okay. like the number of participants. You could press eight. And, you know, usually these chat rooms hold about eight people a piece, but there's usually about back in the day, it used to be about 19 of them. Uh, and then it was, uh, then they bumped it up to 30, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining chaos. I'm imagining just like 19 people speaking over the top of each other. Yeah, you'd be right. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it sounds <laughs> like. It's total upheaval. It's total chaos. It does. Uh, it's total, it's nothing but profane, you know, vulgar, uh, stuff. And sometimes you'll have an intelligent conversation with people, but usually the typical person who calls the chat line is not somebody like me. Uh, it's somebody who is looking for girls, looking for dudes, uh, looking for money, looking to move in with a uh, a chat liner that they don't even know uh, because their families don't really care for them. They're having issues. A lot of them have, are on drugs. I think most of them are mentally ill, not really excluding myself there either. But uh, it just seems like the chat line is full of tormented souls. It really does. Always has. Okay. All right. All right. So so this was happening. You were kind of getting into this this scene about how old were you at this point? 
I was about 13 at the time. All right. Okay. And and your social life at school wasn't great. Uh, but then, you know, you found this like amazing social outlet on these phone lines. Right. That's correct. Okay. All right. And and uh, what what do you felt like you gained from these things? What were you what were you feeling? Well, first and foremost, I felt like I was in a position where I couldn't be judged uh, on first appearances, first impressions. I felt like I couldn't uh, be superficially and shallowly, you know, kind of shut down or cut down by people because they actually had to get to know my personality uh, before uh, they actually understood anything about me as a person. And so in a sense, I guess it made me feel like I was on a level playing field because all we, all we were able to do was hear. We were in like the world of hearing. It was an audio world in which we all communicated and I interacted with each other. And I felt good about that. Okay. All right. So you were a young guy um, and you were feeling a, a bit, a bit kind of marginalized, uh, but you discovered that you were suddenly on an even playing field on these chat lines. That's correct. Tell me, tell me how this, I mean, it sounds like quite a positive thing. Tell me, tell me how this started to curdle. How did it, how did the power kind of go to your head a bit? Okay. So, uh, when I first, uh, uh, hit the chat lines, I was just kind of out there to talk to people. I met a guy, uh, who went by the handle of Royal and Royal lived very locally, lived very close to me. And, um, you know, he uh, was always into this like uh, freaking scene and uh, he was into like, you know, telephone stuff and he would just like play weird error messages and recordings in the room. But I've heard some of these things before because I had already been playing around on the telephone for a long time. Sorry, hold on. What's freaking? Oh, freaking is the kind of the act of uh, wanting to understand. Uh, it's pretty much the idea of being a telephone enthusiast. A freaker is somebody who likes to uh, understand uh, and exploit the uh, public switch telephone network, at least historically, but now we've kind of, we've kind of moved on to uh, you know, uh, much more uh, progressive and serious technological stuff. So uh, you know, it's a guy or a gal who you know, kind of just says, hey, I'm interested in the phone and I'd like to understand the network and uh, how things work and how the signaling protocols work and how things are connected, how connectivity works. And, okay. you know, sometimes even the inner workings of uh, telephone uh, telephone companies themselves. Okay, right. And you became a massive freaker. Now, my understanding of, of this time is that uh, you started to use your phone in the way that a hacker might use a computer. Like at first you were basically doing elaborate prank calls, but then you started to learn more about how the phone network operated and you started getting getting high on that power, I guess. Can you actually remember the first bad thing that you did? Uh, I called in one day. Uh, I was having an argument on the chat line with somebody from Seattle. Uh, and uh, I called the phone company, which was Quest out there at the time. And uh, I just said, hey, uh, you know, I'm a technician and I'm working on this customer's line and I don't want any calls coming in. I need you to, you know, disable the incoming calls. And the guy said, you must be a new tech. And I said, yeah, I just started out. And my voice was kind of light. You know what I mean? So because you're uh, a kid, I just I had some trouble. Right. I was about 13 at the time, 13 or 14. And uh, what happened was, is uh, he said, well, look, the next time you call in, just tell him you need to busy it out. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. And I was like, wow. So I, I hung up with him and I called the number and I'm like, wow, you know, it's not working. These calls aren't going through. So it kind of amped me up. I actually stood out of my computer chair and jumped up and down, believe it or not. Uh, that, that did happen. And uh, after that, it just kind of opened Pandora's box. Yeah, okay. It, it feels to me like some of the reason you were able to pull these stunts off is is 
because you've got this kind of flair for like this secret talent for method acting, I guess what I'm talking about is is not just the way you imitated voices, but also the like the background noises in uh, people's offices. Maybe maybe you can give me an example of this. Okay, so for example, uh, let's just say that uh, let's just say that I wanted to uh, go after a chat liner and make sure they didn't have a telephone at their address anymore, which happened to one specific gentleman uh, in 2007 that I remember. What I did was is I kind of just like thought about it. I'm like, you know, if I was a security guy, if I worked at uh, you know, the fraud department at a phone company or asset protection at a phone company, I'd probably be in a pretty nice office. It'd be pretty plush. I'd probably be able to kind of kick back in a nice swivel chair with the ergonomic, you know, uh, the rest there for your lumbar, you know, the lumbar support and all that good stuff. And I kind of got one of those chairs and I got a really nice four line AT&T, you know, business phone, because I realized that every time you call somebody who is super official sounding, you know, uh, they always pick up on speaker first and then they pick up. So you kind of hear that click, you know, can I help you kind of thing? Really? Okay. Wait, and, wait, wait. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, so, I mean, these are small considerations. Like this is, you know, very small, like the devil's in the details. So you start with, you start with uh, speakerphone and then you switch over. That's correct. Okay. That's how I used to initiate all my calls. I, I really did. Wow. Wow. Yeah, right. That's very devious. <laughs> what, right. what, what about uh, accents? Is uh, you know you're calling you're pretending to be people from all around the country, different accents. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so, um, for example, uh, I, when I started out on the uh, the uh, New England chat lines, I didn't really have much of a New England accent either, even then. But um, you know, I did have friends and things like that. But I, I was kind of antisocial, and I felt like people really couldn't understand me. So it wasn't like always a matter of not being able to have friends. But I never talked like the people around me. But I can. Uh, so it kind of started out like, yep, yeah, how are you? This is, uh, this is Kevin McLaughlin. I'm out here working on a customer work order. Need, uh, need a little bit of assistance, you know, something like that. And then it went from that to, hey, you know, I, I got to sound like somebody from uh, down south, you know, maybe Texas. Like, uh, you know, hey, how are you? This is outside field tech. John Green working on a customer line, you know, kind of thing. Uh, That's pretty uh, good. Something like that. That was a convincing Texan accent. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. It's just uh, one of those things, you know, and I don't know. It all depended uh, what I was doing. Sometimes I would have to just strip myself. Now, anytime I called in uh, wanting to do something pretty serious, one time I undertook a project to uh, secure and obtain uh, the information on 10 AT&T security officials, which I obtained from AT&T uh, on one phone call from one specific gentleman who became my, uh, what I would consider a friend. He wouldn't have considered me a friend, but we had established a pretty good rapport under false pretenses on my part. Uh, he assumed that I was a AT&T uh, fraud investigator. Uh, but yeah, I undertook that project. It was a interesting project. I never use accents when I call in from high-level uh, departments at the phone company, at the uh, at Social Security Administration. I don't just call in, in to the phone companies. I've called into multiple establishments that would hold records about people's personal information or things that I would need. Uh, and I never have an accent when I call from a position of real authority. Why is that? Uh, in my opinion, I believe that people who refer to themselves as cultured in the United States specifically try to eradicate or stomp out any semblance of an accent. I do believe that. That's a very interesting sociological theory. Why? What's What's the basis of this? I don't know. It just seems like what I've always known to be like true. Like I've only heard one guy... Uh, at AT&T. And I just think he couldn't do it. Like he probably tried, but he, he, it seemed like he couldn't get rid of that accent. It was very light. 
but everyone I've ever heard has just been like, hey, how are you? This is uh, so-and-so, you know, just not, not really much of an accent. Sure, sure. Uh, they I, always, they're really forceful with the way they speak. They're extremely assertive. They'll make threats. And uh, I just kind of adopted those ideas. We're going to take a quick ad break here and we'll be right back with more What It Was Like. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right. This is probably a good time to talk about Lindsay Lohan. Can you tell me how you got her number? There was a pretty big uh, online uh, address book hack and uh, you know, called her up and uh, somebody gave me the old number for her and uh, it was disconnected. And I called up to T-Mobile and pulled the new one from uh, the customer service department. I portrayed myself as a person who worked at a store locally and was trying to present the customer with their uh, you know, phone number, which they were not able to find because they were visually impaired. So what I did was I used my own vision problem, thought about a problem that I could have and uh, used that and made it uh, 
seemed like a pretty realistic situation and made the uh, representative at the phone company want to help. So that's how I pulled her number. So the person at yeah. T-Mobile thought didn't had no idea that they were about to just hand out Lindsay Lohan's number and, and thought it was just like an innocuous, regular civilian phone number that they were giving to you. That's correct. See, I didn't provide a name. I just gave the phone number. That's correct. It was, it was a really, it was weird. I'm like, dude, it's, you know, it's not going to work. And I was on a conference with a couple of guys and they're like, yeah, dude, I don't think this is going to work. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it anyway, because I can't think of any other way to do it. So uh, that's kind of what happened. All right. So, so, <laughs> all right. So you call up Lindsay Lohan. What do you say? Uh, I called up Lindsay Lohan and, uh, I said, Hey, uh, you know, how are you? You know, who, you know, what's going on? Um, I just, you know, I found your number and she said, well, who are you? And I just kind of pretty much said, look, you know, it doesn't matter. And then, you know, it was kind of a young teenage kid. So I made some, uh, profane statements, some sexually profane statements, I guess. Oh, Matt, uh, Matt. Yeah, I know. I know it. I know it. You um, blew it, but you, you blew know, it. You could have, I, sh- I sure did. You could have been in a movie with her. You could, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and what, what about, uh, who else did you call? Who were, who were some other celebrities you got? I called a uh, Mr. Mathers, uh, also accessed his voicemail. As I in, used to love to play his voicemail messages for other chat liners. Wait, yeah, wait, I did. as in, uh, Eminem? Eminem, that's correct. Eminem. All right. How did you get Eminem's number? Uh, what happened was, is I called up, uh, well, I, I got the number to, uh, the record label, I think it was Aftermath uh, or whatever it was. I think it was something like that. And I, I it was a 212 number. Uh, and I, I uh, got into the voicemail. I had uh, used a war dialer uh, and some other stuff to try to access the voicemail, and it wasn't working for me. So I started hand scanning, uh, you know, just dialing numbers manually, you know, and typing them manually into my touch tone, uh, you know, telephone's keypad. Uh, and eventually the passwords, I mean, it's just like, you know, I did literally 0000000001002. And then I just got really tired and I just said, you know, how about 9876? Okay, that's not working. One, two, three, four, and bam, it literally let me in. It literally <laughs> let me in. All right. So, so Eminem's password is one, two, three, four. I don't know about anymore, but uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, he probably hasn't changed uh, it. So, <laughs> yeah, I would hope he had changed it by now, but uh, it was uh, I had his voicemail and I had access to Mr. Uh, Rosenberg's voicemail as a kid, uh, his uh, producer, manager. And uh, so, what was really, I didn't want to do anything to them. I just I wanted to listen to their voicemail messages and I kind of wanted to, uh, I don't know, I just I thought it was really interesting to listen to some of the fan, uh, the, these fan messages, especially from some of these chicks. Uh, you know, they, they just sounded like, you know, you got like groupies out there, but you got like psychotic guys out there too who are, hey man, you know, I, I, I want to. I've got a record. I mean, I'm really, you know, I've got a lot in me and I like to listen to it. Even yeah. a couple of times I had a buddy on the chat lines who sounded like, who could sound like Eminem a little bit. So, you know, he called up, he's like, yeah, why don't you rap for us? Just rap for us. And then he would just say, oh, you suck. I, you know, I'd never let you on my label. And we'd just hang up. And that was a prank, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, but that's wild. I never what? obtained any information like, you know, uh, that would be like really valuable or anything like that. Sure. Uh, but you know, just like interesting messages from people. And, uh, did you, one day- sorry, I've got to, I got to ask as a, as if, you know, I was a Eminem fan back in the day. Did you ever actually speak yeah. to Eminem? Yes. I, I was going to mention that. Yeah. He, I got his cell phone number. He had called, uh, the, his number, he had called Paul's number, excuse me, the, uh, the uh, manager and left a voicemail message, and there was an option to get the header information, the envelope information, which obviously included a phone number. So, of course, you know, I had to call that number. 
So I called the number and I said, Hey, what's up, man? Uh, you know, my name is Matt. You know, I got your number. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan. Like, you know, and he said, uh, he said, well, look, don't call my number. And he hung up and I called back and I said, listen, man, you know, it's not really smart for you to do that. It's not a smart idea. And he just said, fuck off. And I just, I never did anything to him, but it actually kind of amused me. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, one of those situations, I guess. You, you threatened Eminem. I don't know about threatened him, but I, I mean, I was a kid. What could I have really done except for maybe turn his phone off? I mean, the guy's worth millions and millions. He could have found me immediately probably, but you know, thank God it never came to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And uh, and and did you say you uh, called Mitt Romney, like the, uh, the that's Republican? That's correct. Yeah. What happened? Well, the way what happened was is the way I got his number is his son prank a uh, prank called him uh, on YouTube and he did not he failed to mute the microphone uh, before he entered the uh, touch tones on a phone and so I decoded the touch tones just by hearing them. Um, okay, so hold on, hold on. So this is really interesting because before when we were talking about your ability to observe sounds that maybe the rest of us with with eyesight, we sort of dismiss this sure. stuff. But you, you're listening to a video and there's this like beep, boop, beep, 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 boop, boop sort of noise of, of like the, the touchpad on the phone. You hear that and you just like, you know the numbers, right? Is that is that what you're saying? That's very accurate. All right. See, that's what I mean. You've definitely got better hearing than me. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I know. I've been doing that forever. Like I just kind of, it's almost weird to me. Like, and in my mind, the touch tones actually sound like that. Like, for example, when I press one, you know, when I say the word one, to me, that tone is kind of like, oh, you know what I mean? Because it has that sound. It almost sounds like a one. It's weird. It's, it's I can't describe it. It's just yeah. like these sounds kind of they they correlate to something that I just kind of assigned to them, I guess, mentally. And they just, I mean, I know what they are. I mean, I could have, when I was a kid, I could uh, probably decode maybe 16, 20 digits. I could do a credit card number easy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So anyway, back to the, back to the Mitt Romney situation. Uh, you hear, sure. you hear the phone number getting dialed. Uh, and then what? I said, man, this, this guy cannot be that stupid. He can't, it's not possible. And I called the number and uh, yeah, he, he picked up. I said, hello, Mitt. He goes, yeah, who's this? And I just started laughing. And uh, I said, I can't believe. I said, you're Mitt Romney. I said, uh, I, I said something about, uh, you know, I heard eventually you're going to run for president. Uh, something like that. And uh, he just, he said, uh, I think he said something along the lines of uh, stick it up your ass and kind of hung up the phone. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't very polite. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty impolite for Mitt Romney. Like Mitt, Mitt <laughs> Romney understandable, but... <laughs> <laughs> Mitt Romney's a pretty straight edge, like conservative kind of Jesus loving guy, I think. Well, that's his right. Yeah. That's his right, of course. No, but, well, uh, of course, of course. But you know, um, compared to Eminem's, uh, <laughs> fuck no, off. I think, uh, I think Eminem would have been all right. Like, I mean, I think if Eminem kind of knew who actually did it and thought about the story or whatever, he would be like, eh, whatever. No big deal. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna jump ahead in your story here, and I guess what listeners need to know is that you continued in this way, terrorizing people and hacking the phone system until you were eighteen, at which point the FBI took a much more serious interest in you because suddenly you were old enough to be prosecuted. You probably should have kept your head down, but but rather than doing that, you started harassing a guy who worked for Verizon. Um, and if anyone doesn't know, Verizon's like the big American telco company. And they assigned a fraud investigator named Billy Smith to your case. And you started calling Billy Smith. You started calling his house and freaking out his family. 
Well, uh, not only was I calling them, but I would call them from numbers that they had just called. So I had access to the switch and I could actually actively monitor the numbers that they were calling. And uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, he actually must have told his family that I was, you know, going after him. He knew who I was. He knew exactly who I was because one time uh, I called up at two in the morning and I called from all sixes. And I said, yeah, where's Smith at? Where's he at? Put him on the phone. You know what I mean? And uh, his son said, I think it was his son. It's, he sounded young. He said, dude, get off the phone, you blind fuck. <laughs> Ooh. What did he say? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> exactly. That must have hurt and, a bit. Uh, no, it didn't. I actually thought it was funny. But okay. the truth is, is I was pretty stoned at the time. Okay, but then you upped the ante, right? Because you decided to go visit this guy in person, like actually go to his house. I uh, actually decided that uh, we were going to go do that. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, we drove over state lines, which in itself, by the way, is a federal offense for this reason. Uh, to do that, it's a violation of interstate commerce. And uh, you can't do that, obviously. It's... It's it's really bad. You know, they're going to hammer you for it if you get hemmed up in the legal system for it. And they did that to me. But so we showed up at his address. It was me, uh, Royal, the one who uh, drove me, and uh, my brother. All right. So right. so and, you, you show up in right. a car. Sure. At his residence on a Sunday. Sunday, May 18th. I remember that date. 2008. He must have been terrified. No, he was actually quite calm. What happened? Uh, so we pull up at first he wasn't there. So we went and grabbed some things to eat. We grabbed a couple sandwiches and, uh, had some food and went back to see the guy and he was doing some yard work and, uh, me and Royal got out of the vehicle and, uh, we approached Mr. Smith and, uh, I said, Hey, Mr. Smith, how are you? And he said, who are you? I said, you know exactly who I am, man. It's Matt. You've been harassing me for months. What's up, dude? You know, just kind of like right there in your face kind of thing. And then he started to kind of lose it a little bit. He said, hold on, I'll be right back. Sit on the bench. There was no bench there. He just ran inside to 911 real quick, you know, to call that number. And uh, at the time I had told uh, Royal, I said, dude, we better get the hell out of here, dude. This dude's going to, he's calling the, he's calling the police, of course. And Royal just kind of froze up. And, uh, you know, uh, they just kind of separated us. The police separated us and uh, they called the feds in Dallas because that's who he was working with. And he, you know, that's who he uh, referred them to or told them to speak with. All right. Okay. So after all of that skirmish out the front of this house, uh, you get arrested, uh, you go to court. What were you convicted on? I was convicted on one count of obstruction of justice uh, and the other one of uh, conspiring to commit access device fraud. Got it. Okay. And they gave you 11 years. 11 years, three months. Oh, geez. That's, that's a long time for a kid. All right, so what happened when you got to prison? I mean, I'm guessing that for the other prisoners, you were kind of a rock star. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, it seemed like they knew exactly who I was as soon as I got there. And uh, I heard some guy say, that's a blind dude that used to screw up the phone system or something. I read about this dude somewhere. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to hear people say that kind of stuff about you. But uh, to be honest with you, I had an easier time. This may sound really crazy, but I actually had a, a less dysfunctional time in prison than I did growing up as a kid. That sounds interesting to say that because the reason for that, I guess, is that everything was regimented and it was a routine and I didn't have that as a kid. And I had it in prison and I felt like I was kind of like leveling out even. And uh, now that I'm out of prison, I feel like I'm losing that again. You know, that sense of uh, regiment. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, for a lot of people, um, structure is really important. Absolutely. So I have to be occupied. My mind just moves too fast. 
I've yeah. got to be occupied, right? Yeah, right, right. Okay, and 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 I think that you've you've told me previously that um, prison was quite a constructive, quite a quite a good environment for you as well. Sure, just because you know you were meeting uh, lots of other people, you know, like socially, it was it probably expanded your world a bit. Absolutely. Uh, one of the first guys I met um, <clears throat> is a uh, was a Boston Irish mob guy. And uh, I went in to uh, the housing unit and uh, people said, hey, this guy's from uh, the Boston area. Maybe uh, maybe he'll talk to you. And I said, all right, cool. So I, I, he walks up to me and I said, hey, how are you? And he says, hey, uh, what's your name? So we exchanged you no know, names or whatever. And he said, what are you here for? And I, I told him. And uh, he said, well, how much time did you get? And I said, I got 11 years, three months. And I said, well, what about you, sir? And he said, well, I, I uh, he said, I've been sentenced to nine life sentences. Oof. That kind of scared me a little bit. But, you know, I'm kind of sarcastic and I'm like, what do they think? You were a cat? You know what I mean? Like, I just, and he actually, you know, he's one of these old Boston guys. So in his Boston accent, his really brash Boston accent, he said, yeah. He says, you're a weird kid. He says, uh, he said, you're not making me feel any better. I'm sitting here dying every day. And, uh, <laughs> he must have killed a lot of people. Nine, nine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was part of, uh, he was a pretty serious guy. Uh, he is a pretty serious guy. Uh, not saying that he was a great guy, and should be allowed to run around in society, but he was never bad to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was so serious that Whitey Bulger himself was trying to provide evidence against him to the feds. Mm, okay, all right. right. That's pretty serious. So so you you told me previously that um, you, you sort of met a couple of positive role models in prison that, that maybe- That's correct. You, maybe you found the, the father figures in prison that you never had as a child growing up. Tell me about that. So there were quite a few of them, actually. Uh, a few that I really, really, uh, you know, uh, gravitated towards and that kind of gravitated towards me. Um, uh, one of which uh, is actually from Maine. And, uh, you know, we, we lived in the same cell for quite some time. And he would just kind of say, look, man, you know, why do you want to be part of like, you know, the prison thing? I mean, no, it's good to work out and good to be out on the yard and on the track. But there's a lot of drama out there. He said, man, why don't you go down to education and get your GED? Uh, he said, if you get your GED, man, I'll, I'll throw like a little party for you in here. Like I'll buy a bunch of stuff from, you know, from the commissary, the canteen or whatever, and we'll have like a little thing or whatever. And I said, dude, I don't want a GED, man. So he just kept on giving me shit about it every day until I just decided to say, you know, hey, man, you know, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and get it. And he, you know, what he did was, is he just said, look, kid, you're probably not even going to pass, you dummy. He knew I wasn't dumb. He just said it to irritate me and it worked. I, I passed, you know, I got the GED and I passed it and, uh, you know, he stuck to his word. Hey, that's awesome. Well done. And what about time? I guess I'm curious to know how fast time actually goes in prison. Uh, does it does it feel like the years just trickle by, like like you've just been in prison your whole life? <clears throat> Not really. Uh, pr- the, the, the prison experience itself was actually, it was a sad, really tragic type of thing. But to be honest with you, in some ways, it was kind of a blessing because it took me out of an environment that was extremely dysfunctional and, uh, you know, not conducive to my growth as a human, as, a, as an independently functioning individual. And it was a very toxic environment. Didn't have the greatest mother or father. But, uh, you know, um, I feel like I grew in prison. The years did not, they weren't slow. They didn't stand still. They flew by, believe it or not. They flew by. But what was scary to me about that was the idea that, yeah, okay, it's great that they're flying by, but these are still years of my life and they're still wasted. They're still wasted. Yeah. And uh, before I got out of prison, I told my buddy Mike this and he says, no, they're not wasted. He says, you've learned a lot, kid. He said, it's unfortunate, 
But no, your life is your life is not over, dude. It's not over. You're good. Just, you know, get out there and try to view the world, you know, from uh, I don't know, the perspective of having, you know, your your glass half full opposed to half empty. So what did you learn in prison? Uh well, I, I kind of I feel like I've really just kind of learned to be a man. Uh, I, I really did because I didn't have that structure I needed. Uh, I, I was never really a straight, I mean, I was kind of straightforward, but <clears throat> I always, you know, did things in total anonymity. I've always been kind of like a, a wild card, I guess. And uh, I kind of had to discipline myself in those environments uh, because, you know, not everybody's going home, not everybody's happy, you know, and uh, you got to kind of make sure that, you know, you leave, you actually have a date that you're going to go home on. Some of these guys here don't. So, you know, I tried to, I guess in some ways I became more disciplined. I became a uh, very avid reader, uh, reading uh, lots of philosophy, different things like the likes of uh, Ayn Rand uh, and Leonard Peikoff and different uh, writers. Did nothing but read uh, and work out while I was there and try to socialize with people. And uh, every now and then use a contraband smartphone that I wasn't supposed to have that I purchased on the yard. (laughs) But, uh, So, So you went in, you went in a kid in some ways, quite a traumatized kid. You know, it feels like you were, you're really uh, trying and, and probably failing to work through a lot of baggage that you'd, you'd uh, been lumped with growing up. Um, Absolutely. And, and in many ways, it sounds to me like prison like prison was almost the remedy. It was the medicine that you, you couldn't get through freaking, through like swatting. It, was, it gave you this thing that you needed. Well, the truth is, is that I needed to be stopped. I needed to go to prison. That's the truth. I'm, I'm really curious about, so you, you talked about quite, about some quite positive characters and role models that you met in prison. Sure. But did you get a glimpse at, at the other end of the spectrum? I mean, there's like some really Absolutely. terrifying people in prison. Did you, Absolutely. Ever, did you ever meet any serial killers or anything like, anything like that? I met a guy who was a, a meth dealer and a, a contract killer. Uh, for um, for some uh, for some meth dealers in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, he was in prison. He had three life sentences plus eighty five years. Uh, and the reason for that was he was extorting people for money. He committed a number of murders. And one of the cases in his court paperwork was uh, a gentleman whose legs he placed in a uh, a wood chipper and proceeded to turn the wood chipper on so that he could, uh, you know, force the uh, the gentleman to tell him or reveal where the location of money and drugs were. And the truth, I asked him directly, I said, well, uh, so what happened? He's like, well, I never got the money. And I said, well, why not? He's like, well, he said, I I left the wood chipper on too long and he went into shock. And I said, so what happened then? Yeah, he said, I just, I shot him in the head two times and left. I I left and loaded him up and left. That's it. Jesus Christ. And uh, I did keep, I do keep in contact or have up until recently kept in contact with a couple of guys that, you know, looked out for me and were decent uh, while I was there. And I found out that that specific gentleman had uh, had been killed uh, in the shower. They had killed him. Uh, somebody had gotten a hold of him and stabbed him up. That was last year. So how are you doing now? I mean, you've been out of prison for a couple of years. You know, how's your life? What are you doing? Uh, not much. Not too much. Um, been trying to find a job. Been trying to, you know, kind of branch out and, but as far as employment, as far as doing too much, like as far as that's concerned, I can't find anything. Nope. I mean, Not we've we've had this conversation, and you know, you've you've. Uh, <laughs> I'm 
fairly well persuaded that you have an incredible technical mind and that you could be of great advantage to any kind of tech company. Why don't why, like it feels to me like they're gonna they should just take you on. Like it it feels to me like all right, you've done some crazy sort of um, pretty inconsiderate shit in the past, but I don't know it. it I could I could imagine you being useful to like Google or something. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, man, you know, like I don't really want to do anything like, you know, major maybe, but like even like being uh, an Apple uh, at home advisor to help uh, people with accessibility stuff would be great. Like, you know what I mean? Just uh, something. I just want to be able to say, hey, you know, I can provide for myself. You know, I can send my girlfriend some flowers. She likes orchids. You know, I want to be able to do that stuff. Never, Not that she asks, but you know, you know how it is. You just kind of want to do those things. And it's not always easy for me to do those things. You know what I mean? So, and that kind of like what adds to her, you know, as being a valuable and great person, like, you know, uh, character wise, uh, that she doesn't really worry about that kind of stuff. I'm the one who worries about that. I want to provide, I want to forge my own destiny. And I feel like I'm being, uh, you know, prevented from doing that and uh, pretty difficult to deal with. So uh, what, are, what are the things that make you happy? Ah, playing drums, talking to my lady, you know, uh, dealing with her. She's, uh, she's great. Um, uh, I read quite a bit still and, uh, you know, I'm into my progressive metal and all that kind of stuff. I'm a jazz drummer, progressive metal and all that cool stuff. But, uh, you know, that type of stuff makes me happy. Um, you know, having a reading books makes me happy, you know, thinking about my future, you know, uh, and hopefully thinking about being at a, a different place in life, a better place in life, that makes me happy. Yeah. I guess dreaming makes me happy if you really want the truth and at the end of the day. Yeah, man. I hear you. Yeah, dreaming dreaming makes me happy too. I think I think if I'm really honest, it's like daydreaming is probably my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Matt, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been a really interesting pleasure talking to you and uh, i just want to thank you for, for your honesty and uh for your self-reflection and um yeah just just for coming on the show absolutely certainly appreciate that and that's our interview with matt wagman if you've enjoyed this episode and you're thinking hey i've got a story like that or it's kind of similar to that something interesting but surprising and maybe a bit unique then please get in touch. We're always looking for story suggestions or just feedback or whatever. So hit me up. I'm at Julian Morgans on Instagram or Morgans Julian on Twitter. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffery. It was edited and mixed by Jimmy Saunders, who also did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge. And a big thanks to Joseph Liu, who was our research assistant. And he was the one who actually managed to track Matthew down. And this has been a super real production. Mm-hmm.